Hello there, Housers, and welcome to another episode of On the Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite. I have the absolute pleasure of working with a fine group of over 100 individuals at an organization called Blue Door, operating in the north of the GTA in York, Peel, and Durham region, working with our most vulnerable in the areas of housing, health, and meaningful and well-paying employment. We're doing some cool stuff at Blue Door, and we will share everything we have with anyone that is willing to listen and of the spirit of today's podcast but if you want to check out some of the stuff we're doing or get in contact with me just go to bluedor.ca and i'd be happy to share and chat more we do not do this on our own absolutely not we work with an incredible national organization called the canadian alliance and homelessness they do great work in the area of advocacy and training uh, government relations, and much, much more. They just had a huge conference in Halifax a little while ago uh, that really inspired and, and uh, gave people energy to move forward and push through and solve this housing crisis we find ourselves in. So if you want to check out their work, and you do, it is www.caeh.ca. Hey, listen, we have an incredible podcast today. We know that if we just keep doing the same old, same old, uh, we're going to get the same results and we have to think differently. Uh, Part of thinking differently is saying, what are we doing uh, or what are people doing across this country that's innovative? There's so many people doing innovative work that's crazy impactful, but we're not sharing, right? We're working in these silos Um, and what works in St. John's Newfoundland can work in Victoria, BC can work in Northern Canada, can work in Australia. Really, uh, we have to get better at sharing. That's the nature of this podcast is really to talk about the awesome stuff that is happening, the stories that are out there uh, with the sector. And that's what we're going to do today. Today, we have three guests. We have uh, Leah from CMHC, who's going to talk a little bit about uh, their work in innovation and partnerships. And we have Jessica, and she is uh, at the Canadian Center for Housing Rights. Um, and she has a wonderful story uh, working from the U.S. to Canada and all the different work that she's done. And then we have Oren, who is the CEO and founder of Sparrow. And he talks a little bit about that company uh, and its, its brilliance around fostering shared living experiences uh, through his home sharing platform, which is super cool. We've heard a lot about it, but he is making that uh, reality. And that's what we talk about today. So we we work through um, some of the offerings from CMAC. Then we have two examples of, hey, it's one thing to innovate and do something, but how do we get take that work and duplicate it across the country to have maximum impact? And that's what we're hoping for today. Uh, Jessica talks about the work that they're doing in a program that they did with Dixon Hall, uh, and mainstay in house link in uh, the GTA. And it really is, I'm going to simplify it too much. You got to listen to the podcast here, but she talks about how they're educating staff and tenants and creating awareness around their rights and what they do in different situations. And, and I said to her, like, this is a preventative program. If people know their rights and people can ask the right questions and people know how to push back, they can stay in their housing. And, and it is so much harder to find people housing after it's lost to rehouse people and the trauma they go through and the cost of that. This is a brilliant program. And then it stops that in its tracks. It empowers people to keep their housing, to ask the right questions and something that can be very um, cost effective uh, in helping people do that and can be 
duplicated across the country and they're hoping to do that and they give some information on how to contact them on their website and then we go to Oren and Oren talks about hey not only right now is it so hard for someone to find affordable housing like deeply affordable housing um, you know what do they do there's a lack of it it's not affordable but also homeowners who are saying I can't afford with inflation going up I'm going to lose my house because I can't afford to pay the mortgage. Cost of living is too much after paying for housing. We know from uh, the Who's Hungry report, I think people have, uh, after paying for housing, so many people have $6 left over, and that's why they're accessing the food bank. If you're Black or Indigenous, you have $4 left over, so you, which is not enough for food, transportation, uh, utilities and everything else around the cost of life. So it's it's a double win, right? It's helping homeowners stay in their home, but also creating safe and affordable spaces for people, helping them build up their credit so they can then go uh, and get different types of housing moving forward. It takes that home sharing concept that many people have said, hey, what about sharing a home? Or they make it safe, they make it easy, they do all the heavy lifting for you through this platform. It's brilliant and again can be duplicated all across the country to make maximum impact. So we hear their stories, uh, we hear all about the projects, about the impacts they're having, the hopes for the future, and how you can reach out. If you're listening, listen to this podcast, take down their information and reach out and bring it to your region because this is impactful stuff that is very inexpensive to do that is going to make a huge difference. I mean, I was intrigued. Uh, Blue Door, my organization, definitely will be reaching out uh, to find out more. So a great, great podcast full of information. Uh, it whizzed by. I love having huge groups of people on the pod, podcast today. We have uh, three great guests. I hope you love it as much as I did. I hope it's helpful. And I hope you reach out and, and help to be, or hope you reach out and, and look to be part of the solution moving forward. Let's go to that podcast. Hey, now. Jessica, Oren, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. So excited to have you here. I love when we have uh, panels like this. Thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We start the show every time because uh, it's a lot of fun seeing what people, um, it's a very personal question, I think, uh, think of this. And that is the question is, is what does home mean to you? Leo, we're going to start with you. Then we're going to go to Oren and we're going to go to Jessica. Okay. Um, I guess my experience of home has been, sort of a blending of both, both an emotion-based experience and a place-based experience um, that provides me, I'm, a, I'm an artist, I'm a creative, so it provides me with this, the stability I need to, to create um, and also provides an environment where I can build and strengthen my attachments to the people around me, whether that's neighbors or family or friends. Who's next? Orin, you're up, buddy. Um, sorry. I, you know um, what? It's okay. You were yeah. taking that in. That was, a, that was a really good answer. So. It's a really good answer. Sentimental. Um, no, I think it's a great, great off here. I also think it's a question if you ask me today, I, I'd probably answer it years ago. Um, when I think of home in the purest form, I tend to think so. I grew up in suburbs of Montreal. Montreal, very fortunate. It was a neighborhood street. There's kids playing street hockey. It's safe. 
they can just roam around and um, so home was really comfort it was coming home home to a fully stocked fridge uh really a, a sanctuary to retreat to after you know a day of some and you know it's later in life as i progressed moved out paying far living alone lived with roommates um but i realized the concept of home is their lessons i took away from each setting either the lessons of learning alone and lessons that come out of that or living in shared living in environments to real beauty in both um you know so for me what it comes down to home is it's a feeling it comes with a sense of safety belonging and connection awesome and last but not least jessica so I have kind of two answers. Hopefully that's okay. One's kind of more uh, work-related and one's more personal, I guess. But I, I think the first thing I think of with home is it's a place where you have some degree of permanence, right? You know that you have this place you'll be connected to for some period of time, maybe even forever. Um, so like in the right to housing context, that would be called security of tenure. But I think knowing that you have space that's yours, where you can like really relax, you have your things, your family um, is really important. You have privacy as well. Like I saw this tweet a while back where someone said like unhoused people have to kind of experience the worst moments in their life in public. And like housed people have this privilege of having like the worst things that have happened to them or when they're angry or sad happen in, in private, in, in privacy and how like how important having a home is to like the good and the bad times in your life. Um, but then sort of secondly, I thought about this like as a parent, um, that home, going home is like a sort of a place where you go back to your roots, right? Like when I go to my parents' house, I, I go back to where like to my, the community that made me, much like Oren explained, you know, the, um, the place that, the community that created me, the people that, you know, helped me develop. And it's a place where I find my like community. That's uh, that's awesome. Thank you all. And here's the great thing about that question. There's no wrong answer because it's your own, right? Uh, Jessica, I want to tell you something about that. Uh, years ago, um, you're the first part of your answer when you're saying, you know, where um, those moments. Well, so we were trying to, uh, the region of York was building a new uh, hub for youth. And it was going through councils three days. And of course, the nimbyism was, was big with, uh, this is going to be the worst of times, the end of times. Um, and one of the best quotes was from a uh, pastor who got up there. And he said, if you're so concerned about people drinking and doing drugs and acting out, give them a home to do it inside like the rest of us. And I thought it was brilliant, right? Like it's And coming from him too, it just carried a lot of weight and it just silenced the room. Like I never thought of it in that way, and that you know what you said kind of sparked uh, that as well. Uh, on theme, all of you, where you didn't talk about four walls and a roof, right? Because that's not really what housing uh, is all about. I want to learn a little bit uh, about each of you. Uh, you know, I think when we had, I always talk about career day when you're uh, small and, and someone comes in. And uh, you say, that's what I had to do with my life. Most likely it wasn't in the sector. You probably didn't say I'm going to end up here. So we want to understand your journey. So we understand you a little bit more. Jessica, this time we're going to start with you. We'll go to <laughs> Leah and then we'll end with Oren. Okay, great. Well, um, so I, I actually have been working in the sector in some capacity for 20 years. Um, but I, um, I'm from the States. I grew up in upstate New York. 
Um, and while I was in school, I interned at a tenants union and at a shelter. I worked at a shelter. And then when I graduated, I had no idea what to do with my life. And I, I got a job at um, a legal aid program. Mm. Um, and I was working in public welfare at the time. But then a couple of years later, I got hired by Community Legal Services in Philadelphia as a paralegal working in their public housing unit. Um, so it was a team that just represented tenants of the, the public housing authority um, and tenants who were renting from private landlords but getting a portable voucher, which in the US is called the Section 8 program. Um, and I did that for, uh, for a little over six years. It was just this incredible place, um, really motivating work, um, really inspiring tenants that we were working with. Um, and because of that, I decided to go to law school. So I went to law school at Rutgers and um, graduated and like, again, found myself wondering where I was supposed to be. And so I ended up living um, in Seattle on the West Coast, working for a, um, another legal aid program called the Housing Justice Project, um, which is like a, a project a little bit like duty council is here in Ontario. We, were, we had offices in the courthouse and represented tenants on the day of their eviction hearings. Um, so I was in court, you know, four or five days a week, sometimes meeting tenants, you know, 20 minutes before we were in court together in front of a judge. It was a tough, interesting job. I was there for about three years. Um, and a lot of my work there focused on the foreclosure crisis in the U.S. So tenants who were losing their housing because their landlord was foreclosed on. Um, so anyway, that was a really neat job. I then had a, had a brief detour into government. I worked for the um, city of Seattle. Um, they had a team that um, I managed that enforced um, tenant protections under city law. So in Washington state, in the U.S., the, the state tenancy laws are super, super weak and um, allowed landlords to evict tenants without, um, like, without cause. So they could give like a 20-day notice, no reason given, tenants just have to get out. So the city passed like more stringent protections around um, about no cause evictions, but also rent increases. And then they created this office that could enforce those protections and cite landlords or even fine landlords for violating the city law. Um, so it was super cool. I did that for a year. Um, and then life stuff brought me to Canada and I um, moved in 2019 and was called to the bar in Ontario in 2020. And I've been at um, the Canadian Center for Housing Rights for about three years. And then the, the project work that I'll talk about in a little bit. Amazing. Thanks for sharing. Leah. Yeah, such an amazing journey, both geographically and career-wise. <laughs> mine, is, <laughs> mine is very different as mine is much more abridged. Um, so I came to Housing by Way of the Arts um, in, in a very interesting way. So I was um, commissioned as a writer and immersive theater designer, creator to actually build um, what we called a simulation training, but was essentially a, an embodied journey map exercise of the housing and homelessness system in Ottawa. And so I worked with uh, a group of experts with lived experience of homelessness, and we designed the simulation together um, with the intention of providing this as a training opportunity for people working both within the sector and outside of, and actually most recently gave it to, as, an, as a training to the med school students here at Ottawa U. Um, and after designing that simulation, um, was hired on to do communications and engagement for this advocacy organization in Ottawa and uh, loved that work very, very much. Um, and then from there was hired on by CMHC to, to continue exploring that work, but at a national level 
um, and specifically in the context of the Innovation and Partnerships Division. Um, but I think I've always been connected to or inspired by um, housing more broadly in terms of housing design. Um, and uh, and then, of course, finding ways to connect the artistic mediums that I live in uh, with social justice issues that are that are hugely important. Um, and, and how do we connect those dots? And actually now currently sit on the board of directors for an artist housing organization as well in Ottawa, um, trying to further connect the dots. I think that's that's what gives me energy. That's that's the juice is like finding how these disparate pieces interconnect and interweave. Um, so. That's the beginning of my story, and hopefully, there's more to come. Very, very cool, and and I see the link. We actually did a podcast a little while ago with someone from uh, BC Housing talking about how important design is in curving nimbyism, right? When mm -hmm. and how that plays uh, a part. But uh, very cool to see that that journey from artist and bringing that work into the work they do now. Uh, Oren, how about yourself? I'll. Uh... I guess I'll start the journey from university. I studied engineering at McGill University. Um, first job or first role coming out of university, I worked at Accenture Management and Technology Consulting Firm. But I was focused in doing work in their department, so uh, really helping companies and organizations um, drive you, right, to think about things a little bit differently differently, whether that's to create commercial value or as a work with really talented people in that, um, in that role. And so for the clients we were working with was the CMHC, where we were coming up with ideas we can improve housing affordability across Canada. So I spent a, a deep amount of time researching different market forces impacting our housing market, uh, which led to the concept of Sparrow today, um, earlier on. Um, and what we were looking at Sparrow, yeah, but we were looking at is the, the utilization of our housing supply and how it affects the, our spaces. Uh, we looked at the proportion and the number of vacant, uh, and ultimately that's what led us to, um, to the creation of um, and the need for a home sharing platform. Very, very cool. And and I think that was a great lead in to the next question here. Uh, so so we know right now, I mean, anyone who has uh, looked at the news at any time in the last couple of years, we're in the middle of a housing crisis. What we're doing is, is you know, if we continue just to do what we're doing, uh, it's not going to solve it. We need to be innovative. We uh, need to work as partners. We need to think a little differently. We hear that dropped a lot. Uh, so, so Leah, we want to talk about a little bit about innovation uh, and partnership in the housing sector. What role does it make? And what role does CMHC play in that? You do all sorts of different things. You have all sorts of different programs, but this being one of the pieces that CMHC is, uh, is big on. Uh, how have they gone about supporting that? Yeah, sure. So when when the National Housing Strategy was launched, right out of the gate, there was a recognition, as you articulated, that alongside deploying some of these much needed granting and lending programs to increase the supply of affordable housing, there was also 
an acknowledgement that we needed to invest in developing solutions to some of the more stubborn or uh, complex problems that we were experiencing in, in the, the housing market as well as look to the future to try and, and anticipate or, or mitigate some of the future barriers that we might see as a result of, of the development of the market. And so doing this work would involve some amount of building up innovation capacity, both within CMHC, but also within the sector. Um, and so we, when the NHS was launched, we also launched a number of programs under innovation and research which now has sort of become um, a bunch of different pieces that are interwoven and, and I work under innovation and partnerships and I'll describe the partnerships piece a little later, but essentially we run these programs to support leaders in the sector um, and to develop some of these solutions to these complex problems in, in an environment where they can de-risk the application of it. Um, and from, the, uh, from early ideation all the way up to prototyping and building some of these ideas and then ideally scaling them if they're really impactful. Um, and the process is quite rigorous and takes a lot of time. And so dedicated resources to this can really help um, and it maybe has a longer timeline than say a, a program um, like RHI, but um, is, is really supportive of de-risking some of these innovative applications um, so that we can deliver these solutions to the sector so that they can actually leverage them. Um, so we, um, since the programs have launched, uh, we've supported so many different projects. Um, and as I mentioned, some of them have already demonstrated a significant impact on the sector. And you're talking to two of them today. Um, and so now the next step really is to um, to build up the, the marketability of these innovations. And so that's where the partnerships piece comes in. And that's where some of my work in knowledge mobilization comes in is that you can develop these great solutions you may even de-risk them to a point where they are viable and feasible in many different um, regions um, or with many different types of application, but ultimately the solutions need to be marketable. Um, in, in other words, um, they need to be desired by the market. Um, and so that's where this next phase of our work comes in, is that in order to scale a lot of these solutions, we need we need the sector to hear about them. Um, we need the sector to understand what they are um, and then trust in them um, and trust that that they've been de-risked enough to be scaled across the country and, and have an even greater impact. Um, and so one of the ways that we're building marketability of these solutions is, is by doing this kind of knowledge mobilization work, which is what I was brought on to do. And Ideally, and this is what the hope is for today, is that we leverage um, opportunities for the experts to talk about their work and then we just take a backseat and we, we seed the space and provide that opportunity for them to reach new audiences and, and hopefully um, encounter new partnership opportunities through the, sharing their stories. So that's sort of how we're involved in these different, these different pieces and then me specifically um, trying to find all these in innovative ways for for the stories to be heard. Very, very cool. And thank you for that. And, and so great about, so, I mean, for too long, I think part of the problems we all worked in, there's people doing little bits and pieces of great work across the country, but they weren't sharing it. They were keeping all that mm -hmm. knowledge, right? And this is a great way to say, hey, if it works in Saskatchewan, it probably will work in Quebec and it probably will work with some tweaking in you know, Ontario or any part of the world, really. I'll tell you, you know, example years ago, different. Um, 
I heard about this program when I was at 360 Kids in York Region. I heard about a program called Night Stop in the UK, and or in it, it's a little bit like home sharing, but um, and and just made a phone call, called did a did a cold call to them and said, "Can we bring this to Canada?" And they were, well, I don't know, uh, good question. And then so because it was a credited program, we did, and now 360 has been. I, I haven't been there, but I mean, they, they've been running it for years and it's very effective, but this is more of, uh, this is less of cold calls and doing that than a, a better way to share and link people together. So very cool. Let's hear from Jessica. You mentioned a little bit, you know, in your, your journey, you said, here's where I am today, but let's talk about three parts. Talk about your organization. Tell me a little bit about the organization um, and tell me what is your project and then Tell me what the impact's been. Okay, In that great. Order. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll try to get the order right. <laughs> um, so I'm from a Canadian Center for Housing Rights, and uh, we've been around for for over 35 years. Um, we're, we're a national organization, and our, our focus is really on advancing the right to housing. Um, but Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. We have different teams who do different work. So we have um, a team that works to expand human rights and housing rights um, by, by doing policy work and research and law reform work. Um, we also have a team that does direct uh, support to tenants. So we, we represent tenants facing eviction. We have a hotline where folks can call in and get legal information. All this work is based in Ontario, I should say, the services work that we're doing. Um, we also have a new project that's a pro bono project. So connecting um, volunteer lawyers and paralegals with um, tenants who are facing eviction, who are maybe who don't qualify for for a legal for a legal clinic because their income is too high but are still very much low income and uh have an unmet legal need um and then we have you know my work and and, and one other person who are full-time devoted to public education work um which has really grown in in large part to the you know cmhc's uh uh support of us um and now we're doing about 150 trainings a year with different audiences tenants housing providers um social service agencies that sort of thing um, but so the project, um, it was the, the project I was initially hired to do, and um, it's wrapped up, it's been wrapped up for about a year. Um, and what it really was to do was to, um, to model a housing law education program that was ecosystem wide. So we would work with both the staff at agencies and with the tenants living there to do, to do legal training and also support them to stabilize tenancies, to um, try to re um, reduce the risk of eviction and that sort of thing. So on this project, we had two um, two major partners, two incredible partners. Um, so the first one is Dixon Hall, which is um, a big social service social services agency um, in downtown Toronto. They do lots of incredible things from like uh, youth programs and senior programs and like music lessons and all kinds of incredible work. But we work directly with their housing services team. 
Um, and they, so they are a shelter provider um, and they also work with folks who are formerly unhoused to stabilize their tenancies um, when they're, you know, newly, newly renting. Um, so we did, we worked directly with their staff there. Um, they're also in the process of becoming a, a permanent housing provider. And then our other partner on this, on this project was um, HouseLink and Mainstay Community Housing. Um, when we first started working with them, there were two different organizations who then merged early in this process. Um, so it was there was HouseLink and there's Mainstay. Now they're now they're one, um, and they are now the largest nonprofit um, social housing provider in Toronto. Um, and they uh, exclusively work with tenants who have who are living with mental illness. Um, so we worked with their staff, which was like a lot of you know building managers and housing support workers and even like maintenance staff. Um, so we, we developed, so the first thing we did with them was like develop training. Um, we worked with the two organizations to develop training that made sense for them. Obviously they had different, uh, focuses, right? Cause one's a housing provider and one's more of a, um, systems navigator program. Um, and so we developed really intense trainings, uh, with their, for their staff. They were like six half day trainings on housing law. Um, but we really, the thing that I think made the housing law training kind of innovative was that we centered it all in um, the right to housing and using rights-based practices in housing um, with the idea of, you know, um, respecting the rights of tenants and stabilizing tenants through like the sort of important elements of the right to housing, like participation and equality. Um, so we did talk about all the like sort of normal housing law training stuff like what is an eviction how does what's the eviction process what's a reasonable accommodation but we also really sprinkled in you know the right to housing um, through that work um, and then another kind of aspect of this was we were just available to um, consult with their staff as issues came up so you know sometimes i was fielding a call about um, how a tenant could you know what programs would help a tenant who was in arrears um, and sometimes consulting on them developing housing policies or you know, they're considering how to manage air conditioning or smoking or what have you in their program. So I was um, able to, you know, just kind of be available to consult with them. And then conversely, we were working with their tenants and their clients, um, although it was this project was applied for before the pandemic. And then I don't know if you can remember back to early 2021, but we certainly couldn't do in-person gatherings at that point. And so we're supposed to be doing all these trainings with tenants and, and we really tried, um, we tried to do them over Zoom. We had no one, <laughs> there was no interest in doing them over Zoom. And so we kind of innovated and um, set up one-on-one -on -one consultations um, with their clients. So um, for House Lincoln Main State Community Homes, it meant going out to each of their buildings and being available to answer questions and just chat with the, with the tenants about their concerns and um, you know just have a chance to be face-to-face -face with them. Um, and with Dixon Hall, we similarly went to a place where they were receiving services. Um, and we also just developed some written materials um, for for both populations and, you know, their um, housing rights and, and different guides for them to use. Um, and then you asked about, you know, the impact of the project. Um, you know, it's been just a really, um, we were really pleased with the way the project worked. And, and since then, um, it's really that part of our work has grown. Um, where we've expanded to other regions and you know the impact um, that we saw from those who were involved um, you know we really saw a big difference across the the system um, we got feedback from tenants that they felt more supported 
um, by the staff that was working with them, that they felt more empowered um, about their rights. We got um, feedback from the staff at, at these agencies that they felt more empowered to advocate for their clients. Um, we really learned that I think educating housing providers in the right to housing and how to um, you know, include human rights-based approaches in housing provision made a big difference. Um, let's see, four out of five who, who went through the training said they felt more committed to accessible housing, which is really incredible when you think about these are folks who are choosing to work in this, you know, in this space, um, working for these incredible agencies, and yet they still felt like this made a big difference. Um, and uh, three quarters reported that they were planning to adjust or change policies or practices at their programs. Um, and again, you know, like Dixon Hall, House Lincoln, Main State, these incredible agencies, and yet, you know, um, there was room to, to you know, improve. Um, so we really uh, thought that that demonstrated that the model worked, uh, worked well. <laughs> uh, you know, it's such a simple premise, right? But I have heard from, uh, here's what, what people need to know. It is so much harder to find new housing for people once they've lost it than it is to keep housing. So this program, am I wrong in saying that, or am I right in saying it's a preventative program, right? It's house, it's homelessness prevention. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And like being able to kind of get in there and open lines of communication and, and focus on how to save tenancies rather than you know, how tenancies end. Yeah, absolutely. It's a prevention measure. And I think people would be shocked to know that there's so many people uh, across the country that when given a eviction notice, just say, okay, and, and move. They have no idea that there's rights, there's ways through it, there's way to, ways to communicate. I mean, this would, this would be huge. If you could, I mean, the cost of finding new housing, the, the human cost of what happens to the trauma of losing your housing, all those pieces that go with it. If you're preventing that by arming people with education and awareness, incredible stuff. And I think Dixon Hall, Mainstay, uh, House Link, I, I know them all. I know uh, Dave Raycraft and Gotham yeah. and, and others They're like just great, great groups to work with. And it's so impactful, right? Just something simple. It's kind of like, I always like homelessness diversion is really just asking a couple of questions uh, that costs nothing, but makes a massive difference. So uh, congrats on that, Jessica. And, and I think that heck is that if that's not scalable, I don't know what is um, and you've got it all packed up and ready to go. So thanks for that. Oren, we're going to go to you. Same. Uh, tell us just a little bit about your org. Tell us about your project and, and the impact that it's made. Sure. Um, well, the the org is the project, so we'll, we'll <laughs> stone there. Um, so yeah, the Sparrow platform, it's a platform that connects our bedrooms or extra space, could be a basement as well in the home, to those looking for minimum two months all the way up to 12 months and sometimes beyond uh, it enables so those who are, are renting out that space to generate a passive income stream and think about it it's a lot of individuals that are facing a uh, rising interest rate environment patients have gone up and desperately looking for ways to supplement income and maybe have a habit it connects those individuals with people who are desperately looking for for budget-friendly places to live. The audiences that we're de dealing with are students, grad students, newcomers, you know, looking for that first home, moving out of, um, moving from one country to another, or, uh, and typically they're finding spaces or, or uh, rooms on market rate. 
right? And, you know, as we're, we all know we're in a housing crisis, rents have, are at an all-time high, right? Um, our, the of owning a home is at an all-time high. But at the same time, when we look at our, our housing and the utilization rate of it, there are over 12 million empty bedrooms with, in, and so it does beg the question, right? Of course, what is it? There's a, a three-point gap that we need to reach by 2030, right? Um, but maybe one part of this we already do have and trying to create ways that, that make it safer and easier for people enjoyable at the end of the day. Um, and that's really where, where home sharing comes into to effect here, that it, it, it solves both sides of the market or it's a win-win benefit for, for renters looking for a safe and a, a budget-friendly place to, to live. And it also provides significant benefit looking to hang on to their home, homes, afford their homes, and for older adults, they're looking to. And so, you know, of course, letting a stranger into your home and living with someone else, we looked at, at the solutions in the market today that's, that are used that in the online marketplaces where you can post listings, not much security or safety baked into really know who this person is before they show up to your doorstep. Um, there's so so what, what we uh, really an end to end uh, service that makes it safer, able to share space. Uh, we 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 bake in safety through ID ver checks, credit checks. Uh, we are compatibility matching system habits, their lifestyles, their living preferences to match people together, facilitate the contracting between those two parties. Uh, we facilitate the payments uh, process and we report those rent payments to the credit bureaus to help renters build up credit history. For many, the biggest payment of the month. And so, why should an account? building your credit scores. We provide a dedicated support, um, a great team here that's looking to be as as possible for our hosts and, and our housemates on the platform. Um, an impact. So we launched in, in January 2022. So it's coming up to in market. Um, and, and we're coming up to our 400th match. We're uh, very proud of, and those that has translated into over it's a half a million in saved rent to renters relative to market average million in supplemental earned income to homeowners who who need that that income. And so, yeah, that's uh, these are all the, all the metrics that uh, I could. That is so cool. You're solving two things. You're helping people stay in their homes. You're helping others find homes uh, as a match. And you're taking away all the, the the hard work in between and making it easy. You're the link between these two groups. Incredible. Uh, and I think it, it's definitely a solution that's been missing. You've heard a lot, I think, about home sharing over time where people are like, well, how do I do it? And, or, and 
I hear you're saying Sparrow. This is the way to do it safely, securely, where everyone wins. Very cool. Uh, now I'm going to ask you a fourth question. I lied about three, but you were so efficient answering two and one. I'm going to give you the fourth one, and that is, what are your hope? What are your hopes for the future? And then Jessica will go over to you. Same question uh, on your project. Yeah. So our our vision really is a world where people live better together. Right. Um, focused on Canada at this point in time with the debt we currently have, we really want to make a dent in achieving housing affordability. For, and we believe that home sharing is going to play a role in closing that supply gap, building net new structures and net new supply, uh, but in providing rapid forms who need them now, today, you know, before 2030, right? Um, so yeah, that that playing a role in addressing that the housing crisis, and along the way, fostering between um, individuals to who live better together. Awesome, thanks, Oren. Jessica, what do you hope? You you've worked with Mainstay HouseLink. You've worked with Dixon Hall. What's next? Yeah, I mean, I so we still work very closely with both those programs, but even though it's not you know directly funded through a grant but um yeah i'd love to see this work just continue to grow and it, it has um we've expanded our work uh we now have kind of similar projects in york region peel region helton region and hamilton um we're uh getting a lot more you know there's just been a lot more interest in in the project and in the work that we do so um, we are now we now have the ability to do paid training. So if an organization wants to bring us in and work with their staff, we can do that. Um, some uh, like regional um, agencies have have hired us to do training. We also have heard from actually to tie into what Orin was saying. We've heard from a lot of universities that their students are really grappling with the, you know, the housing crisis and can we come in and work with their students? So we're doing that with a few different colleges and universities in the GTA. Um, so I, I uh, you know, the demand is huge and I, I love it and I, it feels like a way to, um, to, to help folks before problems happen. So yeah, I'd love to just see that um, continue to grow and also move out. I'd love to see it move outside of the GTA. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it really could work anywhere. I, I remember talking when I was at Raising the Roof, talking about uh, what a, a high school one day thing could be for someone to come, like yourself or, or team members to come in, talk to high schoolers about how to read a lease, how to do that. Because part of it was preparing you for university in the future, exactly what you're talking about. But part of it is also sometimes with parents at home that might have literacy or other challenges who aren't scared, who will you know, just uproot the fact because they don't know when they get that eviction notice. But to have someone in the family understand and say, no, uh, you know, mom or dad, um, we have rights. And, and and here's what I learned today at school, like the prevention of that, right? I mean, I think the, you know, there, there's, um, it's incredible and I think can be duplicated and it's really affordable. It's a way more uh, efficient and effective way to uh, keep people in their housing. So uh, congrats both on that great work, uh, incredible stuff, and a great example of uh, simplicity and innovation uh, and something that can be scaled. And Leah, I think that's why, why they're here uh, and what we're talking about. Uh, what are your hopes for CMHC in the future of innovation and partnership? I mean, you, you, you've all alluded to it. The 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 situation is 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 quite dramatic. Um, the, the numbers are staggering, and so right now. 
from an innovation perspective, the work is really geared towards how do we scale these innovations that we know are are, are working or having an impact. Um, you may have noted the, the most recent round of the housing supply challenge, round five is all about identifying those existing solutions that have proven um, that they work um, and just removing the barriers to be able to scale them. So that's a key piece of work um, for us as we as we roll forward. But also innovation is by design iterative. So we have to constantly evolve and adapt um, as the environment evolves and adapts. Um, we can't predict the future, but I think that's a big part of what we have to try to do. Um, and uh, and so it's it's really encouraging to to look at the the spectrum of solutions and how they're engaging with both at the civic level and the sector level and governmental um, level to to try and bring us all together and maybe jam with some of these ideas how do they intertwine how do they work together um and uh and how can we develop new partnerships to to do um, even more innovative um, applications of of what we know works um as if sort of future future proofing in a sense the innovation work that we're doing now um i i love this conversation because i think that and and we've alluded we've we've chatted about this that um we may view some of these pieces as disparate pieces but they're all in a continuum and in many ways feed each other um and and i think a next step for innovation is getting folks like oren and jessica in a room together to say how does our work inform one another's work and and um what new iterations could we envision or come up with or design um, to better support the the people that were that we're really pulling in um, to this work, whether it's it's preventative or it's trying to retain the housing that we have, or 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 trying to unlock new housing, uh, or unlock housing that's there, or create new housing. Um, I don't know if that was a very clear answer, <laughs> but looking to the future really um, is the next step. Well, these are two of many great examples of the innovation that has come out of. Uh, CMHC's push to do this work, uh, and there's lots out there. Uh, both of you, uh, Oren and Jessica, are doing incredible and very scalable work that should be scaled across, right? So that's my next question to you, Jessica. We're going to start with you. Someone's really interested in what you are putting down and saying, we want to hire you, we want to hire the team to come out and do this, or we want to do something similar uh, in uh, Manitoba or in Victoria, BC. How do they go about that? What are like, do they contact you? How do they do that? Uh, give us the details. Yeah, I'd love to hear, especially would love to hear from folks across the country. That would be incredible. Um, our website is uh, housingrightscanada.com. Um, and we have a page on there about our public education work and folks can actually sign up on the website. Um, and also I just, you know, welcome folks reaching out to me directly. I'd, that'd be really exciting. Yeah, and I also kind of want to plug our partners, Dixon Hall and um, House Lincoln Mainstay. Uh, Dixon Hall's website is uh, dixonhall.org and um, House Lincoln Mainstay is hlms.ca. They're doing such innovative work in um, in the housing space as well and couldn't have done that without them. Awesome, yeah, definitely great, great organization as is yours and impactful as well. So thank you for that. Oren, if people want to find out more about Sparrow and say, hey, I want my whole team, and I do, I'm saying this, I'm talking to the third person, but uh, <laughs> I do want my team at Blue Door too. I mean, because quite often when people come in and they're facing, their, many people are receiving social assistance, they're saying, what am I gonna do to find this person housing with $720 a month? 
I think 300 of that being for the shelter portion. Uh, I'm at a loss. This is the answer. How would they go about finding out more or having this maybe in their region? I think the fastest way is to check out our website. So our website is www.air.com. Um, you can also get in contact with us by email at sparrowshare.com. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, yeah, you can follow us. Our handle is, is at Sparrow Living. Um, or you can call us 647 Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And some weekends too. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that there, there are many. Uh, Leah, people want to find out about this work and all the other different off- offerings at CMHC. Uh, where can they go? Yeah, I think the best place for people to go to if they want to be inspired by some of the innovative work that's happening is the A Place to Call Home website, which is CMHC's sister website where we put up profiles and stories of some of the, the innovative projects that we've supported and then and then just some of the amazing work that's, that's emerging in the sector. And then a second plug, um, if you'll grant me this, is is to invite anyone who is in one way or another connected to the housing sector to to become a member of the expert community on housing, which is essentially a collaborative platform that CMHC operates, but it's really for the community to to use as a way to come together, share knowledge, share articles and tools, um, and even build a collaboration hub where they can work on specific projects or set objectives for themselves, whether it's topic-based or regionally based. Um, And so we would love to have more people making use of that platform as a way to sort of extend the work that you're doing here of of building awareness and connecting people um, and ultimately sharing some of the things that are working um, so that we can we can work more cohesively as a community. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And and please, uh, everyone, you know. To rewind that back, listen to all these places to go to to, to uh, be connected and, and you know be dialed into this amazing work that is happening. Um, we are so grateful for all the work that all of you are doing day to day beyond these projects. Even listen. Also, this is not your parents' CMHC. It's not about uh, mortgage insurance just anymore. There's much, much more. And, and congratulations to CMHC on. I know it's been a real tough go, but there's so many fabulous programs coming out that uh, so many in the sector have taken advantage of and are showing impactful results. So thank you for that. Thank you all for your time, your efforts, and for making impact. I've so appreciated this conversation today, and we'll see you next time on the way home. Thanks, Michael. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.